This message by Pastor Eric Ludy was given at the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. As a ministry, we desire to see the return of strong, triumphant Christianity in the church today. We make these messages available free of charge for the purpose of strengthening the body of Christ and igniting bold faith in the hearts of believers around the world. The ministry of Ellerslie is made possible through the prayers and financial support of listeners like you. If you have been personally impacted by Ellerslie's messages, please consider partnering with us as we build world changers for Jesus Christ through gospel-centered discipleship. Visit ellerslie.com to learn more. Now, here's Pastor Eric Ludy. He does the work. Who's he, you ask? Well, I will unveil that as we go forward if you don't know. A study in the great secret of Christian action. You see, there's Christianity that believes the right things, thinks the right thoughts, and then there's Christianity that doesn't just think the right thoughts, but lives the right way. And it's the second option that I would prefer to encourage in this body. And that's what this is about. So I'm going to first introduce you to what the Bible would enunciate and what I'm going to call as the profound hope. In other words, the Bible is giving a picture of what we are intended to become when we turn our lives over to Jesus Christ. Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. Those that are being called of God, those who are being set apart for his purposes, God has in his mind a design. It's a design that long ago he came up with to form each of us into that same end. What is this design? What is this but an actual picture of Jesus Christ, that your life is to showcase the life of Jesus? Just as we have borne the image of the earthy, we will also bear the image of the heavenly. So every single one of us, before we came to Jesus, bore an image, and it was an image of this earth. It was an image of the consequence of Adam's sin. Every single one of us has borne that image. But those of us that have turned our life over to Jesus also have a hope and a promise that we will bear the image of the heavenly. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. The concept of Christianity isn't stagnant, where you come to Jesus, remain the same, but when you behold his glory, you are being changed, transformed is the term, into that very image. From glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Now, if I could give you a little heads up, that very last line is going to show you how this is happening. It's from the Lord. It's a work of God, but very specifically, out of those three persons in the Trinity, it's a work of one known as the Spirit. The impossible command. So I just gave you this remarkable hope that every single one of us can hold on to. We know what God is doing in our life. He is transforming us into the image of Jesus Christ. Whoa! In fact, you want to know why you're here on earth. Some of you are like, well, I don't know what my calling is. I don't know what the will of God is for my life. Well, I just gave it to you. It's he's conforming you into the image of Jesus Christ. That's what he's doing for every single one of us. And, but with this grand vision, even grand hope, comes an impossible command. Be therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. So you see this hope. God wants to convert you, conform you, transform you into a picture of Jesus Christ. What is your tendency to do? It's to dig into your own pockets and say, all right, I'm going to do my best, God, to fulfill this purpose. 
And when you hear that, it's a command. Be ye therefore perfect. Well, what do you mean by perfect? The same way God is perfect. You know, that sort of perfect. And what do we have a tendency to do? Dig in our own pockets and say, okay, God, I'm going to muster this up for you. As he which has called you is holy, so you be holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. Jesus, when he comes, in a sense, prepares us to understand what we can call the impossible calling, which is meant to lead us somewhere. He says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees. The Pharisees had it all together on the outside. They looked good. And yet on the inside was a serious problem, which caused everything on the outside to be hypocritical. They were false. They were play actors. And what Jesus is saying is, if you want to follow me, you can't be a play actor. It has to be real. It has to be genuine, which means the works you do that are righteous and holy must be a derivative or an outflow of something genuine that is taking place within. And so we have this impossible command that strikes us. We see what he's after. He's wanting to conform us into his image. And so we rise up, pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and attempt to perform this. The great secret to Christian doing. So for most of my life growing up, I saw and I heard the vision. I grew up in the church and I knew what I was supposed to be like. I knew how I was supposed to act. I knew how I was supposed to obey my parents. I was not supposed to lie. I was not supposed to steal. I was not supposed to look at other girls the wrong way. I was supposed to be honorable in all my actions. I'm a Christian. And yet, no matter how hard I tried, I was unable to live out this life that I knew I was supposed to be living. Which leads to a tremendous frustration that many people in the church today are struggling with, which is why we have ideas that float around in the church that diminish the standard of God and say, well, God didn't actually intend you to live that way. He, he knows that you can't live this, so he just wants you to know that he loves you just the way you are. Well, I know he loves us just the way we are, but he loves us too much to leave us just the way we are. The gospel has a solution, and we're going to call that the great secret to Christian doing. God intends your life to perform, to actually work, not to just sound good on the outside so that, you know, you've passed the, the test. Did Jesus Christ... Uh, die on the cross. True. Did Jesus Christ rise from the dead on the third day? True. And everyone pats you on the back and says, I think you're fine. You see, that's actually not the end goal of God in this earth is to get you to pass some kind of exam or test, true false test on who Jesus Christ is. Faithful is he that calls you who also will do it. There, right in a nutshell, in a very short, simple scripture, everything is said. You see, many of us in here still, even though you know what I am talking about right now, and you even maybe have heard me share a message like this a hundred times, because this is the center of what I care about. How do we live this? I don't want to just raise a bar and cast a vision for how a church is supposed to function. I want to give you the toolkit for how to do it. It doesn't do us any good to have right thoughts about God and live wrong lives. Faithful is he that calls you. Who is calling us? God is calling us, very specifically, in and through the voice and the words of his son. Follow me, he says. He has called you. You know he has called you. He's invited you into his saving grace. So faithful is he who calls you, who also will do it. Let's lay a foundation in our thinking. 
So I've used the term triumvirate. I don't want to intimidate you with big words. That just means three. Tri means three and means three parts. Okay, so the three parts of the word of God or the three actions or the three ways the, the word of God is expressed. Okay, this is what we as Christians believe. This is where we place our confidence. So the word of God, when used in scripture, would enunciate three distinct things. One is what we would call the text of scripture or the word of God in text, known as the Bible. Okay, this would be what we could call the word of God. And we place our entire confidence on that word of God. This is the place of our trust. This is what we believe in. What do you believe in? I believe the word of God. However, it's not just that we believe text. We believe what that text points to. That text points to one known as the word of God in person. One who actually fulfills all the text and lives it out in his life and fulfills everything he was commissioned to do, everything the Bible in detail describes. That he will remove the iniquity of the land in one day. This one who will come and will be your Messiah will be born of a virgin in the town of Bethlehem. I mean, it goes into such detail, it even says he'll be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. The one who fulfills all of this is the word of God in person. And we place our entire confidence on that man. Faith in Christ, in Jesus, is actually what saves us. However, it's not just that there was a man that lived, and we believe that he was a good man, and we put our confidence in this good man. It's more than that. It's the word of God in action. We put our faith here. The word of God in text speaks and authorizes the word of God in person, Jesus Christ. And then what that word of God in person does on that cross is what we say, that saves me. And it fulfills all righteousness, all prophecy. Everything is done, wrapped up in that. And we say, on that I stake my eternity. That is how we function as Christians. We are believers. And someone could say, believers in what? In that. That is what we believe. This is where our confidence lies. The measurement of a real Christian. That's quite a statement. I wish I had a little measuring rod or some kind of uh, ruler here. And so this isn't maybe the best way of saying it. But you'll notice that the, the words get longer as we go down. And technically, I'd probably put a few more tabs in there, move doctrinal accuracy over, move behavioral accuracy way out there. And what we have is all the way from one all the way to the end of the word behavioral accuracy, we would have a ruler. And most of us, when it comes to the picture of Jesus Christ, that would be the ruler. And it would be all the way a measurement of what we are called to be. And, and Jesus would say, I'm not just looking for you to be right in your global thinking. Did Jesus Christ come and, and die for you? Yes. That would be ideological accuracy. You believe that Jesus Christ did it. You believe that he is the source of salvation. You believe that there's only one way. You're right in a general sense. You are accurate. And yes, that's wonderful, but it's like the first blip of movement on the measuring rod. Doctrinal accuracy gets a little more specific. I'll go into this in just a second. And most of us fail to realize the weight and the gravity of what we could call behavioral accuracy. In other words, how does your life measure up to what you believe? Are you actually living it out? You see, many of us put all our emphasis on number one. And we say, I've got it all together. I'm fine. That's all God desires of me. Actually, according to scripture, God desires behavioral accuracy. Be ye perfect as he is perfect. 
We're like, what? That, that doesn't sound like the new covenant to me. I, I thought it was the covenant of grace. And he just hugs us in our mess. Technically, nothing has changed. God is. And his standard of righteousness still is the standard of righteousness. He says, live it. And we're like, I, I can't. I can't live it. He goes, oh, all right. Now we're starting to get our ideological accuracy correct. You can't do it. Only I can, he says. Then he says, now, how are you supposed to live this? Because I'm still commanding you to live this. And then we say, okay, how is this supposed to work out? You know that some of you have come to the realization that, wait a minute, I can't do it, he can. But how does he do it? You see, he sent his only son to die on my behalf so that he could purchase for me something. And that is called grace. But grace isn't a hug. It is power to actually enter this body and enable behavioral accuracy. Now your doctrine is starting to line up. And then what is waiting? How do you perform behavioral accuracy? Well, you're going to have to receive that which God has given you. You're going to have to allow someone else to move into this body and empower it. Enable these eyes to look where his eyes would look. This heart to beat with his burdens. These hands to function on this earth the way his hands would function. And that is how a Christian is supposed to live. But many of us are still locked away in ideological accuracy, feeling all good about ourselves, failing to realize that God has such a grander plan. So ideological accuracy would be something like this. I I believe Jesus was God and that he came and died for me. Well, what's wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with that. That's wonderful. That's still accurate. Big picture accuracy. That's right. How about doctrinal accuracy? Well, it's something like this. I believe that Jesus was the perfect match for the Old Testament Messiah and that in matching perfectly with the prophecies and the promises that he is, in fact, rightfully and appropriately given the place of preeminence in all things. Good doctrine. That's accurate. And you see, it's more developed than ideological accuracy. However, there's something more than just being right. You could know doctrinally, doctrinal correctness. You could have right thoughts about Jesus. You could quote the entire Bible, have it all memorized. That does not mean you are victorious over your sin. That does not mean that your thoughts are pure. That does not mean that you are kind to your neighbor. It does not mean anything practically. It just means you have right thinking. But right thinking is important. Don't get me wrong. It's that the right thinking is supposed to lead you to a right conclusion. What's the good of having a treasure map and believing the treasure map is accurate, memorizing all the details about the treasure map, and never actually taking one step of obedience to that treasure map and finding a treasure? The goal of Christianity is that you would find something. What is that something? It's called life. That you would find life and that more abundant. So behavioral accuracy is what we could call the end goal of what God has done. He is changing us and conforming us into his very behavior. The way he would behave on this earth, he intends us to behave. So this, it could sound like this. Jesus, the one who has all authority and sits currently in the position of king of all kings, has commanded me to be perfect, be holy, and to live without sin. It's true. However, how in the world are you going to be behaviorally accurate? So I'm going to introduce you to someone. We're going to call him the helper. And so some of you already know what I'm talking about. It depends on the translation, because he could be called the comforter, could be called the helper. However, he's known as the Holy Spirit. John 14, I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth is what he's called, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you will know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. 
But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. The Holy Spirit, I'm going to give him a name for us today, and that's Mr. Pleurophoreo. I know, it's a weird name. Uh, it's a good old-fashioned Greek name. Uh, and this is what he does. It would be sort of like Mr. Helper. But it's more than that. You see, when you heard the term helper, that means something to us in the English. And I want to expand the understanding of what helper means. Remember that statement? Faithful is he who has called you, who also will do it. Maybe I should say it this way. Who also will help you do it. So someone has called you. Who is that? How do you even know about Jesus Christ? Do you know who, who introduced you? His name's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is actually the one that found you. The Holy Spirit is the one that awakened you. The Holy Spirit is the one that introduces you to what Jesus Christ did. The Holy Spirit is the one who will do it. You see, Jesus has accomplished it. But the Holy Spirit takes from the work of Jesus, takes from who Jesus is, takes from the word of God in text, in person, and in action, and brings it to us. So Mr. Pleuro Ferreo, the guy who makes Christianity actually work. The problem is when I bring up Holy Spirit, some of you immediately go into lockdown mode uh, because of all the abuses of the Holy Spirit in our day and age, there's been a distortion. And as a result, the pure understanding of who this is, it's a, one of the persons of the Trinity, it's God Almighty. We, if you know Jesus and you like Jesus, why? It's because the Holy Spirit has introduced you to him. He said, the Holy Spirit's work is pure, it's right, it's holy, it's good, it's not crazy. It's not out of control, it doesn't bark like a dog. You see, we have weirdness that has crept into the church of Jesus Christ that is not in alignment with what the word of God itself in text reveals. And as a result, the Bible itself says, test the spirits to see if they be from God. All right, let's test that. Nope, not from God. That's not the Holy Spirit. That may be a spirit, but that's not the Holy Spirit. So the guy who makes Christianity actually work. William Law wrote a book called The Power of the Spirit. I would highly recommend it. It's one of the most powerful books on this topic that I've ever read, if not the most powerful. Yet the church is filled with professing Christians whose faith has never gone beyond a conviction that the words of Scripture are true. They believe in the Christ of the Bible, but do not know him personally. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit is sound doctrine to their minds, but their lives are empty of his manifest power, either to overcome the power of sin within or to convert others to Christ. Here's another quote from William Law. I actually came across these uh, when I was looking for another quote, which I never found. Uh, Men are more concerned about proving who has the right doctrinal interpretation of Scripture than they are concerned with whether or not the reality of the gospel is being demonstrated in their daily lives. Most of us are caught up with the concern over doctrine, and we fail to have any concern over behavior. And you'd notice that. You just go around to denominations, to different churches, and figure out what they're making as the emphasis. Doctrine. Does it matter? Of course it does. However, if you have good doctrine and bad living, uh, how do you feel about that? I'm not exactly sure that we should be applauding this. You see, good doctrine is supposed to lead to good behavior. So if your doctrine is healthy, what should it be leading you to? To a treasure. If your map is accurate, it should lead you to a buried treasure. You should be opening up and throwing gold around. We should have something to give, life to offer. The action and the effect of the Holy Spirit. So here are two words in the Greek. Pleurophoreo is a verb. It's an action. So I don't know how how many of you have ever thought of going and pleurophoreoing, but you can do it. And pleurophoria is a noun. 
So a way of saying what the Holy Spirit does, he pleurophoreos in order to pleurophoria. Does that help you understand what the Holy Spirit does? All right, I'll make it a little more clear. Pleurophoreo, it's the verb. It means this, to bring completely to an end without stopping short but completing a long journey. To fully show something without any remaining hindrances to sight. To fully convince someone, to make one certain, to persuade one to a right conclusion. See, the Holy Spirit, when he starts something, always brings it to completion. This is what he does. So if he plants a seed, what's he going to do? He's going to water it. He's going to see it grow. He's going to weed it around. He's going to prune it. He's going to do whatever it takes so that it bears fruit. You see, he has an end. And if that end is the same as God's, which it is since he is God, that means it's to conform you into the image of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus gave us something at the cross, and it was more than just forgiveness. The way William Law said it, I just couldn't find the quote is he gave us Pentecost. He didn't just give us forgiveness. He gave us the Holy Spirit. You see, the great gift of that cross was life that would dwell in us, that would live in us, that would change us, that would take his very life, Jesus' very life, and plant it within us. It's called Christ in us, the hope of glory. And so the Holy Spirit is interested in bringing about an end. He's not just going to get you ideologically accurate. He's not just going to stop at doctrinal accuracy. He wants to move us all the way to behavioral accuracy where our life actually matches what God's commission is. And Abraham being fully persuaded, this is the concept of Pedro Fereo. In other words, he was brought to an end. He was brought to a convinced point where he knew that he knew that he knew. Absolutely convinced, wholly certain that what he had promised, what God had promised, he was able also to perform. Pleurophoreo, the noun. It means full assurance, most certain confidence, absolutely convinced, completely persuaded. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in pleurophoreo, in much assurance, complete confidence. You see, when you come to God, there is one who is laboring to bring about a confidence in your soul, a strength in your soul, and that one is known as the Holy Spirit. Introducing the Holy Spirit, the revealer, of the word of God. So God has a word. That word is Jesus. And there is one who is given the task of taking that word and bringing it to us. Even in the beginning. Who carried along the writers of the Bible to write the word? It was the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit is the one that takes of the word and brings it. He brought it to the prophets He brought it to the different writers of uh, the Old and the New Testament. And they were carried along by the Holy Spirit to reveal the Word of God in text. And then that very Holy Spirit worked within Jesus, the Son, and gave the Son the actions of the Father to do. And Jesus only did that which the Father was speaking and that which the Father was doing. And as a result, the Holy Spirit took from that which was God's and revealed it in and through the Word of God in person. And then the word of God in action, of course, is the fulfillment of all of that. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in this earth. The Holy Spirit needs a body. And when he has a body, he goes to work and does the work of God in this earth. He reveals the word of God. That's what he does. When the Holy Spirit is working in you, you know that he's not talking about himself, going, hey, by the way, it's me working. It's called the Holy Spirit. He says, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He turns your gaze towards Jesus. That's his entire job. Where you're not like Jesus, what does he do? He brings conviction so that you can repent and turn more towards Jesus. He is working and laboring to show Jesus. 
No prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. So those that were prophets, what were they speaking? They were speaking the word of God. And yet they were moved by the Holy Spirit to speak the word of God. And the same is true with us. We are called to reveal the word of God, Jesus, in our lives. And yet how do we do it? We're moved by the Holy Spirit to do it. But he, because he, Jesus, continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost, to the complete degree. This is like a pleurophoreo word. Bring us all the way to the end. Those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. How does Jesus bring us to that utter salvation, to that place of being fully conformed to his likeness, to be fully freed from any entrapment to sin? How does he do that? He does it by means of the Holy Spirit. Mr. Pleurophoria at work. So this is the Holy Spirit at work. When he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. See, the Holy Spirit doesn't have his own message. He takes from the word of God. And he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit takes from what is Jesus, is the word of God, and brings it to us. How do you know the word of God? How do you know about the work of the word of God? In text, in person, and in action. Who's the one preserving the text for us all these thousands of years? Who's the one telling you all these thousands of years, even though the world back then would have said, oh, it's just a common criminal that died. Yeah, weird things happened, you know, stones broke open, earthquake and things like that, but you know, it's sort of strange. But I think it was all, uh, you know, a conspiracy. And yet 2,000 years ago, you know the truth. How do you know the truth? That was an innocent man. In fact, it was God in the flesh and he bore our sins upon that cross. How do you know that? There is a witness in this realm that is taking from that work and bringing it to you. And his name is the Holy Spirit. So let's look at how God works. Before we even were found, we were lost, right? We were the lost. We did not know truth. And as a result, we were under condemnation. It was a just condemnation. But before we even were found, you know what the Holy Spirit was working to reveal the word to us? Where's the Bible come from? That was before I was born. The Holy Spirit was preparing that message for us before we even were born. The work of the cross was done. It was prepared. The Holy Spirit was laboring in and through the Son to actually prepare the message that would bring us redemption and hope. This is before we were even, even knew we were lost. Even before I was born, these things were happening. But now imagine you're lost. You can't even see. You're in a, in a dark world with no light shining. You have no idea of the truth. And then somehow, some way, something begins to work on you. The Holy Spirit begins to awaken you. He shows us the word of God in text. We hear the preaching of the word. We hear the truth of Jesus Christ. And what happens? We're alerted. Before we used to mock it, but now suddenly we begin to hear something. It doesn't mean we've believed it. It just means we're hearing something. Hearing something we've never heard before. And in so doing, the Holy Spirit shows us the word of God in person. And we begin to see who Jesus Christ really is. And in so doing, he shows us the word of God in action. And that work on that cross was done by that man who's telling you this. This is the Holy Spirit. He's introducing you to this truth. How about the seeker? So the seeker is one who is now being awakened, who is actually saying, I need to know more about that. And in so doing, the Holy Spirit reveals to us the power and authority of the word of God in text. 
I can trust this word. Isn't it amazing that every single one of us that has been brought to a saving understanding of Jesus Christ came to a place where we said, I believe this. I believe what this Bible's saying. Even though we got an entire Da Vinci Code world out there that wants to say, that is fables, that's ridiculous. And yet there's something inside of you that's convincing you and testifying to you saying, no, that's truth. How do you know it's truth? The Holy Spirit is the one who is convincing you. It used to be in the ancient understanding of Christianity that the Holy Spirit did the work of convincing and they didn't call it convicting. We've changed the word to convicting. It's still accurate. But the word used to be convincing. The Holy Spirit convinces you. Convinces you of your sin. Convinces you of your wrongness. Convinces you of his sinlessness, his rightness. And as a result, you become a believer. I need what he did. So the Holy Spirit, in so doing this, in revealing to us the authority of the word of God, reveals to us the saving power, regal authority, and profound love of the word of God in person. We see Jesus. We see what he's done for us. We see that he's king of kings and lord of lords, that he condescended to rescue someone like us. And in so doing, he reveals to us our absolute need for the word of God in action. I need what he did on that cross. And that is one who becomes someone known as a new believer. Holy Spirit is awakening you to these realities and then pressing it beyond. Remember, he starts. He plerophoreos. He brings something to a complete end. He doesn't just start, but he's working on you. And what's he doing? He's revealing Jesus to you. He's revealing the word of God in text, person, and action. He did this for you. And suddenly you are warmed within your soul to the point where you say, I must have that. You have been convinced by who? By the Holy Spirit. The new believer. So, as we continue our progression here, the Holy Spirit, in so doing, he saves us by our childlike trust in the word of God in text. And in so doing, he makes us new creatures by our faith in the word of God in person. And in so doing, he causes us to build our entire lives around the word of God in action. What he did on that cross is all that I live for now. I need to share with others. I've been made a new creature by faith in Jesus Christ. I believe this word and look what it's done to me. I'm new, I'm different, I'm transformed. I believe it. And the effects of it is changing me. And a new believer is a weapon. However, they're a new believer. They're young. It's like a wild stallion that has energy and strength snorts but needs to be broken to harness that's that wild stallion isn't yet done they have right thinking and their lives are practically being transformed but they need to be discipled they need to be brought further by the same spirit the same spirit that has done all this work even before we were born to prepare the way so that we would hear the word of god be convinced in the work of jesus christ that same spirit now desires to do a deeper work in us than just get us to believe the right things and to have an initial work of grace. The eager disciple. And we say, I want all that that word in text says. And I want all of that word of God in person. And I want that very action that he did, the way Jesus lived, I want that action to be in me. Oh, we got a good work going here. See, some of us have stopped short and we're like, I don't know that I want that in me. Because the woo of this world is so strong. Can I just be fine and think the right thoughts and live any way I want? Well, that's not an eager disciple. That's like a, a, a disciple that's sort of dragging his heels and saying, you know what, I, I know that I'm supposed to be discipled by you. I'm supposed to be sanctified. I'm just not overly interested in this. I'd like to live my way. When in fact, the Holy Spirit is going to work on that. And some of you, that's exactly where you're at. He's saying, uh, I need to come in and I need to operate this uh, whole thing known as your life. And in so doing... 
The Holy Spirit just keeps going. You see, this is what he does. He brings things to an end. And in so doing, he begins to introduce us to Christ's majesty, his power, and his preeminence in and through the word of God in text. Keep studying that word. What are you going to see? Whoa! He's amazing. Mm -hmm. Who's teaching you that? The Holy Spirit. And in so doing, he opens us to the grand triumphal entry into our very bodies of the word of God in person. You're saying that he wants to live inside of me? That's what I'm saying, says the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit says, open up the gates. Open, unlock these doors that the King of glory may come in. That he may have his seat in your life. Because God intends something more for you than just to live your own life. He intends you to live his life. You see, it's been made available to you. That's part of what the Holy Spirit is showing you. You have access to this in Christ. As a believer, now allow him to enter as the triumphant king into this territory. And let him gain a beachhead on this earth in your body. And in so doing, the Holy Spirit reveals to us more and more the significant centrality and power of the word of God in action. And so what do you begin to see? God, I crave to bear fruit. I crave to show the world what you have done. I desire, just as Jesus fulfilled the action of God in his life, I want to do that too. But I feel a coward. I feel weak. He says, let me have your life. And Jesus begins to animate and take over this body so that the fruit of our life begins to show forth the fruit of his life. The action of our life is now the word of God, not just in text in our mind, and not just in person living in our being, but now in action out of our life. The ever-maturing disciple. And you'll notice that this process never stops. There isn't a time where you're like, oh, Holy Spirit, I just really appreciate you getting me started here. The Holy Spirit is the one who does it. We are a work of grace, a.k.a. also known as the Holy Spirit, the working of God on our behalf. You didn't think you're the one that's grown up in your Christian life, did you? He's the one growing you up. It's a supernatural work because there's nothing inside of us that can even see Christ, let alone yield to Christ, let alone give our lives and grow up in that maturing grace. This is a work that he is doing, the ever-maturing disciple. So as the progression continues, and in so doing, he alters us, changes us, and completely and utterly transforms us into living epistles, human pictures revealing heaven's message, lives living fully congruent with the word of God in text. Someone could look at our life, look at the text of scripture, and go, whoa, you actually live that. Yeah, isn't that the point? And in so doing, he reveals in and through our actions, attitudes, and words, the person of Jesus Christ, the word of God in person. Jesus? No. Uh, no, I'm not Jesus, but I'm, he lives in me. And so I'm just sort of allowing him to shine out. And in so doing, he demonstrates to all the world, in and through our lives as believers, filled with the Holy Spirit of God, the word of God in action. What are our actions? God's actions. And so the word of God is not just text in our head. It's not just the idea that he resides within, but that he has overtaken this body and he is acting in and through it. Faithful is he who has called us, who also will do it. For us as Christians, for many of you in here, you understand at least remotely who the Holy Spirit may be. But I want you to understand that he desires to rule your life and to bring Jesus to you. The entire Christian Christian life is about Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is the one that makes it that way. 
The Holy Spirit's entire job description is to show you the Word of God. His name is Jesus. To form that Word of God in you, to train you in it, to refine you by it, and to mature you in such a way where you show that Word of God, Jesus, in and through your life. Give your life to Jesus at a greater level than you've ever considered giving him your life before. Some of you know that he wants a greater access. Some of you are afraid because you have keys to your house, known as your body, and the Holy Spirit's sort of pointing at them right now, and you're like, well, can't I keep the keys and you just sort of influence my life? He says, can you hand me those keys and let me into your life so that I can enter in and live? Well, what does that mean, God? I mean, like, what's going to happen to me? First of all, some of us are afraid we're going to go weird. If you think Jesus is weird, then yes, you would have concern. But he's going to make you like Jesus. He is going to fulfill his purposes and conform you into the image of God's beloved son. This is what he does. And the Holy Spirit, get this, is safe. He is safe in the fact that he will never violate the word of God. He will always stay within the confines of that which would test and prove him to be from God and doing the work of God. You can always rest confidently on that. However, he's not safe in the sense if you're trying to hold on to your old life, your old ways, your pet doctrines that the Holy Spirit wants to deal with. If you want to be smart and look popular to the world, then beware of allowing the Holy Spirit to come in. However, if you want to know Jesus Christ and to be conformed into his likeness, That's the way to do it. Faithful is he who has called you to this high and holy calling who also will accomplish it in you by the power and indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit of God. We hope you have enjoyed this message by Pastor Eric Ludy, delivered at the Church of Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without expressed written permission. For more information about us or to help support the ministry of Ellerslie, we invite you to visit us at ellerslie.com, E-L-L-E-R-S-L-I-E.com. Please know that you are not alone in this battle for truth, and we are cheering you on down the narrow way of the cross.